welcome to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast with your hosts, Jeremy Thake and Paul Schaeflein. Each week, you'll catch us speaking to expert developers about new tech, lessons learned, and opinions in this space. Okay, first episode recorded in 2023. Um, I'm here with Aicha Bas. Hi, Aicha, how are you? Hi, Jeremy. So great to be here. Happy New Year and Happy New Year, everyone. My name is Aicha Bush. I'm a cloud advocate at Microsoft, focusing on Microsoft Graph and Teams. I'm definitely working very closely with Jeremy and his team. So looking forward to interviewing Matthias. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to grill Matt. So Matt, it's been a long time since we've seen each other. You, you've been an MVP in this space for a long time. And for those that obviously can't see the Teams calling right now, your beard kind of represents the tenure within M365, I think. Yeah, yeah. Every, every year my beard is growing a little bit longer for every MEP. So when I lose it, I have to shave it off probably. But it uh, <laughs> has, has been, I think, almost t- 10 years now that I've been MVP, MVP. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Yeah, no, it's great. These part of the success uh, episodes have been really interesting for people. And there's been a few people going, hey, we need to get certain people on to hear what they say. And um, so you're on the list and I appreciate you accepting to do this in your air quotes company vacation that you claim you're on right now. <laughs> <laughs> All good. So can you introduce yourself? Like where where do you live and how long have you been in this industry and, and what's the company you work for now? Matthias Einig, CEO of Rancor. Um, we are a software vendor. I have been around for 10 years. Um, I've been in the Microsoft SharePoint space since 2005, I believe. Wow. Started with SharePoint Portal Server 20, uh, 2003. Yeah, that was fun. <laughs> Let's move on quickly. No, um, so we, we with Rancor, we started um, with a product called previously SPCAF, now Rancor Code, the Sherpa Code Analysis Framework, which was, a, or still is, a static code analysis tool for SharePoint and M365 customizations. So very dev focused. And yeah, I live close by Munich. Our headquarters is in Munich, Germany. I know Jeremy, I think, forever, it seems, since I'm in the community. Yeah, I mean, I guess we would have communicated digitally because we were both in that SharePoint space about the same time all those years ago. Um, but obviously, meeting person, like likely that first big conference in 2009, maybe. But who knows? Who knows? Yeah. Um, but today, we wanted to focus on another product of yours. So, I mean, I think people are probably familiar with SBCAF if they're, they're developers listening to this show because of it being so useful for kind of analyzing what people have written and caching some of the things that, you know, you have to, the nuances you have to know in developing in the SharePoint space of old. The new product that you've got, well, it's not that new anymore, right? But it is Rancor Governance. Correct, yeah, Rancor Governance. So not so new anymore, um, turning two years. So we have been on the market already quite a while. Um, and yeah, different, different product, uh, technology-wise, quite similar we are analyzing stuff previously we analyzed code now we are analyzing live tenants and we're helping organizations to stay in control of the tenant of the growth of the sprawl of security permissions um, of their uh, house rules in the tenant that they want to maintain and building up policies on top of rancor governance to um, monitor what end users are doing in your Microsoft 365 tenant and automate the actions afterwards um, to involve the end users, for example, um, to perform certain actions, approve actions, archiving, removal of permissions of licenses and so on. So the whole idea is 
gathering insights of your tenant across all services. So not just individual, not only just Teams or Microsoft 365 or SharePoint, but everything and putting all of it together into kind of a, like a graph eventually. And then you can report on that, build your queries across all these services, create reports, dashboards, create your policies on top of that, and then scale um, basically your governance plan with automation. So if you want, you could say, well, we've built in Power BI, we've built in Power Automate, we have built in some kind of analysis engine, but just in a single tool without the need of all the other things with a pure focus on collaboration governance. And, and, it, and you're doing it in like an enforceable way. So it's not just reporting. You can actually have things happen based on certain things it discovers. Exactly. You can remove, you can delete files. You can remove permissions. You can add, remove licenses to users. You can inform users via Teams or email, or you can trigger external systems via a webhook or an Azure function if you, or a Power Automate flow if you want to integrate, for example, in a third-party system triggered by either a schedule or by a violation of a policy that you have set up. So the whole idea of Renko governance is to be highly configurable without having to get that data manually through graph. Um, eventually we use the graph at the end, but um, we gather all the data continuously and update the data and track also the history, what is changing of that data. And then you build your policies with a simple builder like a UI where you just build queries and um, then try to identify issues in your tenant that you don't want to have there and then automate at the end in an automation builder what should happen with violations. So the idea is that at the end you can set it on autopilot. So you build the policies and the automations and then the record governance handles these kind of violations with the organization together on autopilot. Pretty cool. And Ahmed, you mentioned that this product is available for customers for two years, right? Where did you start off in the first place? What did you see in the market uh, as a gap and why did you build the solution in the first place? So we started five years ago with the product, actually. Um, so it's live since two years, but five years ago, we started asking our customers, basically, what are the challenges that you are facing in the cloud now with Microsoft 365? You have moved to M365. What are the challenges? What costs you time? Where are you uncertain? What is happening? And so on. And identified a bunch of use cases. One of them is, of course, sprawl. Everybody creates teams. SharePoint sites, whatever, nobody cleans them up. Nobody cleans up the permissions at the end. What's happening with all that stuff? Then user offboarding, what happens when somebody leaves the company? What happens to all the resources that are on the run, OneDrive that have been shared with externals and so on and so on. So all these kind of problems we identified by talking to our customers. We talked to, I think, at least three, 400 organizations and aggregated a couple of yeah, recurring use cases, which are actually independent of M365. They are just general problems that you have when you're running IT systems. And then try to um, use our knowledge. How can we identify um, these, these problems and help to solve them in an automated manner? Did it benefit you having other products in market? So you had a customer base you could go talk to to kind of validate this product. Is that kind of the approach you took? You talked to the people that you'd sold Rink or code to and things like that? 
both. So we talk to, so we have a lot of customers in all areas, all sizes from Fortune 500 to small 20 people companies and also partners. So we talk to them, of course, but different audience, of course, it's very developer focused audience, our uh, old customer base. So this is more like um, IT management, administrator, uh, service management audience that we're targeting now with uh, with Rancor Governance. So uh, we did both. We talked to the old customers, tried to get introductions to the right people within uh, these organizations, but also did some active research. So basically contacted people on LinkedIn that seemed to fit the target or target audience, asked them if they would be willing to do an interview with us and try to get their insights. And people are surprisingly open about things. Also at conferences, we try to reach out to people, can you come by the booth? And they tell them their life story eventually, um, what uh, all went wrong and how bad their job is and where they struggle. And then you realize or you hear again and again the same problems eventually. And that's really helpful. So going that way really help, but you need the time to do that. And our existing product in the developer space helped us, of course, to finance this kind of research. There's definitely a good like buzz or tingle when you hear the same pain points from multiple customers yes. when it's validating what you're building as a product manager. So yeah, it's good to see you doing that in those different different ways. So you mentioned you use the graph to do a lot of this. I mean, effectively, you must be waking up a, a timer job and just going through the tenant and, and pulling information through. How have you found that and what some of the challenges you found in, in using that within Microsoft 365? Because I'm guessing that isn't easy for you as a product. No, it isn't easy. And it's constantly a challenge because you face new problems. We support quite a lot of services. So it's a lot of data that we're also looking at. So when we're looking at users, licenses, sensitivity labels, um, audit data from M365, SharePoint, down to the files, OneDrive, down to the files, Teams, channels, apps, Power Apps, uh, Power Automate Flows, and Azure AD, and so on. So we gather quite a broad set of services, uh, data, and entities within that. The majority of them through Graph. So we also use SharePoint REST API, of course, uh, for crawling things and so on. But the majority of it is using Graph. And we usually do not use any better endpoints because we need to uphold an SLA to our customers as well. But the amount of data, of course, is kind of the challenge to remain under the throttling threshold and keeping the data up to date and somehow yeah, finding the balance of depth of data that you want to provide and um, actuality of the data. How often can you update it? Because you cannot scan everything every day. For a small tenant, that's not an issue. Like if you have a tenant with a thousand users, we can scan the entire tenant every day. That's no issue at all. But um, if you have a tenant with 300,000 users, then a scan, especially the initial scan, takes quite some while. When you scan, if we have a customer, for example, who has four petabytes of data. So you can imagine how many files they have and getting that number of files. We're only getting metadata, not the actual files, but getting the, going through the SharePoint API, for example, here, and getting all the file metadata can take in an initial scan weeks. That's, uh, but that's fine. So how do you have that conversation with the customer? Are you just setting that as an expectation up front of, you know, like yes. those APIs have throttling to protect the service and therefore, you know, these things aren't just going to magically all appear overnight? 
exactly yeah this this is how you do it and we also have like multiple tiers of data that we're gathering so some things that are updated more frequently like daily or uh, weekly and other things are updated only uh, maybe once per month depending and customers can also configure that how what is important to them um, so for example in the graph well every additional api call that we have to do costs us eventually performance because we cannot gather other data we have only so many calls that we can do and some things you cannot gather in bulk so you have to request for every single file um, for example or for every single entity whatever you're trying to gather and there we have to somehow always find the balance I have to find the balance together with the customer what's really important for them to have more frequently and what can be updated for example only once per month for example last sign-in date that's an additional request that you have to do so if you want the last sign-in date of a user and if you want to have that every day updated then it costs but if the customer says yeah it's actually only relevant for us to have that once per month because our policy is if somebody has not logged in the last three months then we want to disable the account for whatever reason or inform somebody or trigger something in service now or whatever then it might be sufficient to have this kind of uncertainty of 29 days that the data might be too old and then it triggers just a month later and then that's fine but you have to find that balance with each customer one quick question on that where are you storing all this data do customers want that in their own azure tenant or are you kind of storing it for them because it seems like that's a lot of sensitive data that you're pulling out of m365 to to store somewhere so our, our product is available as a SaaS multi-tenant SaaS, which is hosted in three Azure data centers, three Azure regions at the moment, uh, West Europe, Central US, and East Australia. And there it's stored in table storage in dedicated resource group for each customer. So each customer has its own resource group. Everything is separated for each customer. Um, and customers of all sizes accepted. We are SOC 2 compliant, uh, so we are audited uh, SOC 2 and so on. Um, so that helps, of course, in the security questions. But it's always a discussional point, of course. You always have to talk with every customer about security. The security team has always concerns. And usually we can convince them that that, that data is safe with us. But there are some highly regulated industries like finance, for example, or also uh, in the health sector. And they can also host the entire product in their own Azure tenant. So they can set up their own Azure subscription, install the entire product in their own Azure subscription, can lock it down entirely. We don't have access anything. And then everything is on their side. And then I guess the challenge there is then you have to manage updates of the product with that customer rather than just punching it out to the SaaS. Exactly. So that's why also self-hosted is more expensive than SaaS, despite the customer having on top also the infrastructure costs. So in SaaS, the infrastructure costs are covered by us. But for us, that's easier because we can price that. There's like some fixed costs that you always have to run the infrastructure, plus the variable costs um, that you need for the scanning. And uh, we can even the fixed costs out of, among our customers per data center, whereas the customer has to pay the entire fixed costs anyway, plus the scanning costs. And then they need to scale it also to a level that it's actually usable, depending on the amount of data. Uh, and then on top of that, there's also the additional 
support effort to helping them with updates to support them because we cannot do things ourselves. We cannot just deploy an update and we deploy yeah, twice per week at least. So, um, and plus hot, hot fixes, we have like a normal release every two weeks and then smaller bug fix release uh, once or twice per week. And uh, for self-hosted customers, they need to get a bundled update every month um, and install it themselves. And they, if they don't update, they run out of support after three months. So they need to take care of it and plan that in. Yeah, and I appreciate you sharing that. It's a common pattern we're seeing across ISVs, but I appreciate you sharing the details. So thank you. It's important for the customers um, to understand that. And eventually we, we see a lot of customers who first say, hey, we, we can only do self-hosted. It's, there's no chance we put that in the cloud. And then they realize that they actually don't have the skills and the resources to operate a SaaS solution themselves for themselves and decide then to uh, go for a SaaS after all. Um, it seems like you're working with a lot of data from uh, the customer side and you're handling it out, a lot of get data gathering and processing. I was wondering if you're using any other product, maybe the cloud product, uh, to handle this amount of data because you mentioned some of the customers have how many terabytes of data you, you're handling? I think it... Petabytes. Petabytes, yes. <laughs> so seems like it requires more support from the cloud services. So I was more curious about the architecture behind the scenes. So of, of course, we are not storing that amount of data. So we are only storing the metadata of that data, but it's still a lot of data. And from a cost perspective, uh, we decided to store everything in table storage because table storage is damn cheap. And uh, that's, of course, a good thing, but it's also hard to query. So we have uh, an intermediate layer. So we use PostgreSQL as an intermediate layer where we build up the most recent data as a SQL database where the user interface is querying. So you have instant data can query on the data instantly, but everything else, like when you build a dashboard or when you build a report, that's actually, you create that in the interface and then it's sent for processing and then it's generated into the table storage and then provided ready-made from the table storage. So it makes it much, much um, quicker then. It's not calculated on the fly then, it's pre-calculated then. And only if you do changes to your report or to your dashboard, or to your policy, then it needs to be recalculated. And we do that in a post-processing step after the scanning already. So um, the Postgres is only used for if you go into a grid, a data grid, and you have your 100,000 users in there and you want to sort them by first name, then if we would pull that out of uh, table storage, it would take five minutes to get that data. But Postgres, it's there in less than 10 seconds. So that's that's kind of the mixture. But everything is hosted on Azure. There's no third-party service involved. No, I don't know. Yeah, we, we use Azure from start to finish because we want our customers to be able to host it also themselves and don't require additional services to do that. Wow, that's pretty cool. And in terms of using your product as a customer, are these available in Office or Team Store or... How do customers usually integrate with your uh, product? The product itself, you can just go to website and start your trial. So your trial is up and running in 
less than three minutes um, with demo data, and then you can connect your tenant. And we use normal AAD enterprise applications to authenticate and um, basically scan the data then. Um, from that point, you can also go through the Azure Marketplace. So the, the product is, uh, how's it called? Azure IP co-sell transactable offering. Uh, some strange <laughs> <laughs> Microsoft whatever term. Um, so now you can actually buy it directly from the Azure Marketplace uh, also. So then if you click there, then it opens up your Azure AD, then you uh, create a resource group for it and can subscribe directly from there and get the bill from Microsoft if you don't want to buy directly from us also possible, but the majority of customers actually buy directly or via partners of ours. What's the onboarding like when you add a tenant? I mean, I'm assuming with the API calls you're making, you're going to be smacking app in consent pretty quickly. And so I would imagine through a store-led experience, that might seem a little bit overwhelming. And so do you rely a lot on your partners that sell this product or you directly working with the customer for them to get to that point of being okay with clicking the, you know, I'm admin consenting Rancor to my tenant? So we put a lot of time in figuring that out, um, ask, trying a lot with our customers. And um, so we have split that process up a little bit. So it's not like you start a trial and you consent immediately to your tenant. It's not like you have to start a trial with your global admin account. We don't need the global admin account at all, uh, only to give consent eventually, but you're not logging in with it as some other products are doing that. You can use basically any account, um, your even create a user password account. You don't even need a Microsoft account um, to start a trial. And then we're setting you up with a with a demo workspace as a start. So then you can start play around with demo data. So it's a demo tenant in the background. So you can experience the entire product right away without having to consent at all. And your trial starts already, but um, you can build checks, you can build reports, you can use our templates. So we have loads of templates, hundreds of templates for policies and so on that you can just instantly create without having to think about the problem even. We try to give you as much ideas already with templates. And then when you feel like, hey, um, I want to see that with my data, and you click that, uh, okay, consent to my tenant now. And then the first step is to connect to the tenant with a normal user account so that we can check. So we're just asking for consent to connect to the tenant without any p further permissions to check is there already an, an existing consent available. And then the next step is to actually give the consent and that also we split up. So you can, we only gather in the initial step, only tr try to get read permissions. A lot of organizations uh, are extremely cautious about full control permissions for good reasons. Um, so you only need to give read permissions unless you are trying to get stuff from the SharePoint API like SharePoint permissions, who is in groups and so on. Then for that, you need SharePoint full control. And we split that even up by service. So you can either do that globally for your tenant or you can do that service by service. So you can say, only give uh, SharePoint, only give M365, only give OneDrive, uh, and so on, and ask only explicitly for those graph permissions for the enterprise app. So, and you can also, you don't have to give the admin consent to Renko Governance, so you can send a link to the admin 
that can provide the consent and um, ease that entire process. So, and then once you have the initial consent, so M365 is the initial one that we need that gathers users and licenses and so on, then the scanning is already starting and you can postpone other services to a later point. For example, Power Platform, there are no application permissions available for Power Platform, so you need a delegated, uh, a specifically configured user account to get the delegated permissions. And that is usually requires some more work. And then we guide the customer usually. So our customer success team helps the customers to get everything right to get started and get the data that they need. It's a neat, neat pattern you're using in the product of having that demo data. Because, I, you know, in my experience working at two big ISVs, there was a lot of drop off initially in some of those needs to consent certain things. And, you know, if someone's just trying to kick the tires on your product to validate the features are there that they need for whatever business requirements they have, it's really neat to be able to do that without that initial step of um, having to do that consent. So um, for those listening that are building product, um, please take this into account because I think it's a really, you know, it's a, a valuable experience that uh, Matt's been through at Rencore that I've been through and others have been through. And, you know, ultimately that they don't really need to see their own data straight away. They, they want to see the product working and see the features of the product. So again, thanks for sharing that detail. Exactly. They want to experience what they can actually accomplish with the product and right. they can imagine then how it would look like with their own data. Yeah. Usually that's not a problem. And we also don't limit how, uh, the trials. So it's often that a customer does three, four, five trials and uh, until they are actually connecting their, their tenant. That's totally fine because they are just using their demo data and test it, maybe have also simultaneous trials. And they can, exp if they do something in their demo tenant, let's say they configure a dashboard that they like, they can also export that and import that in their actual production tenant then once they have connected. Pretty cool. I, I want to ask more like my working with Microsoft question moving forward. Um, since you've been working with Microsoft products for a, a long time now, uh, what would you like to see Microsoft doing in terms of Microsoft 365 dev platform or maybe other products uh, you're relying on Azure? Um, just to make sure that your customers are happy, more productive, and you're able to build new features in the product or maybe improving the existing ones. So while looking at graph in particular, while there are some endpoints that are desperately needed, <laughs> SharePoint endpoints, for example, definitely one thing, application permissions for Power Platform, definitely something that I would love to see. Planner is also a topic for... Ooh, ooh, I have some news. Ah, yeah. Hot off the press. I saw that already. Literally, as we're recording this, so we're recording it on Jan 9th, this will come out next week, they literally pushed the deploy button this morning. So it'll be rolled out. By the time you listen to this podcast, the application permissions for Planner will be out, which is good because for four or five years, people have been knocking down my door about that. And it's really good to see the product group finally get to that one. For Power Platform, you mean? For Planner. Uh, <laughs> I was <laughs> just, <I> just seeing. <laughs> no, for Planner, don't, yeah. Don't try and put words in my mouth, Matt. <laughs> planner was, I think, on the roadmap to be released in Q4. And I was like, come on. <laughs> it was. It was meant to come out in October. We even did the blog post. Yeah. No, so that's out now in January. There were some delays from a security perspective. They weren't, they weren't sure. And so they waited till the new year to roll it. Cool. 
Well, then you can expect Planner to be uh, soon supported record covenants as well. Yeah, that's right. Immediate uh, product being using the API, which is good. And that is in preview. And I did, you did mention earlier on that you tend to not use Vader APIs, which is a good practice. But There are some few exceptions, but uh, usually, yeah. Uh, better endpoints yeah it's it's hard if we provide an sla and suddenly something breaks and then uh shifting the blame to microsoft uh is easy but um, maybe not the the good way of doing business Doesn't help the customer. <laughs> um, so um so we try to and, and the customers understand also when we say yeah okay this is currently not available look this is a better endpoint or um then this understand yeah, okay we add it as soon as it becomes public usually what were the SharePoint ones that you need out of interest um, in trade? Permissions in general and uh, files and uh, getting files metadata, all these things where you uh, we are still crawling. And I think we are using still the SharePoint REST API for that, if I'm not mistaken. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So you, you're just saying that there's a gap on the graph that is not available. It's a, it's a gap. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So you still get the data, but um, as this is a quite costly uh, way of getting data, crawling, that's like as you know the 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 whole story with broken permission inheritance and all that stuff to get all that information out there that is a little bit cumbersome um, whereas in other services like teams permissions and so on and all this you get that instantly via the graph um, and you have all the data that you need uh, in order to build up a permission report for example so getting there some point in the future that would be nice um, but yeah in general things things are developing in the right direction so graph is definitely really helpful it's just there's always this customer who asks for a specific information that they want and then that's not available <laughs> that's happening so often yeah and typically you know as new products come out as well on m365 they're not in immediately an api is available and there's a few new products coming out this year where i'm sure you're going to get asked questions about well how do we govern this product and the answer will be well the apis aren't out yet so um, that's something that we're working on internally but unfortunately it's just the reality of these product groups prioritize getting the product out there and then the apis come as a, a secondary thing a question we get a lot, Matt, is, you know, as a partner, uh, there's the FOMO, the fear of missing out is is quite real. And they often want to know from other partners out there, like, where, what things do you plug into to try and keep up to date so that you're not sitting there in the Ignite keynote or build keynote and shocked to see something new coming out. So what are some of the, the programs that you're plugged into initiatives internally at Microsoft that have really helped you at Rencore to be successful with those kind of problems, challenges? Yeah, so we are, of course, in the fellowship of the graph. Um, so, <laughs> 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 what? <laughs> you don't like that name anymore? Of course. <laughs> yeah. uh, at some point, we're probably going to have to change the fellowship of the graph to just be the official Microsoft Graph <laughs> tap program. But <laughs> what yeah, I like the name. Still the fellowship. Yeah, so, so we have also a dedicated. I don't know, partner manager, it's, I believe, called for, for Graph. So, so we have somebody who's, who we can throw our questions at and, and our demands or wishes, <laughs> yeah. however you want them. And we are in the preview of the ISV success program that just got started. So I haven't seen much of that yet. Yep. Uh, we're in a couple of other programs. Um, but 
So you were addressing that FOMO um, that yeah something gets announced on Ignite. So usually, well, we are we have a couple of NDAs and so on. We get a lot of information, of course, also uh, earlier before it comes becomes public. But at the end, um, for us, we realize that the dr driver for our innovation is rarely Microsoft. It's mostly the customer, and the customers are usually years behind of what Microsoft wants them to do. So um, their challenges are often way more basic than what Microsoft is currently trying to push and to sell. So yeah, that's fair. What comes out at Ignite, yeah, we have, I don't know, now Viva, 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 everything. I've not had a single customer who has asked me for Viva governance in particular what they actually want to do there. Um, and we asked them, is this something, yeah, yeah, Viva is somewhere on the roadmap, we're thinking about it and so on, but actually our biggest pain points are here and there and they are usually way more basic than what microsoft is currently trying to put forward so it's always good to stay at the pulse but we're not not anymore after 10 years being in an isv jumping on every new uh thing that microsoft is releasing and trying to um say yeah we can do this too but rather well, I expect if they're looking at your product and they're specifically for governance, they want to get their existing house in order before they start looking at trying to get new things in order. So it does, does make sense in your case where that demand is. Exactly. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> so just to finalize and make sure that people who are listening uh, know where to go and try your product. Um, you mentioned that your product is available and easier to reach from your website where should they go exactly and where should i go exactly to just try out your product with sample data and maybe integrate my own data so that's fairly easy just go to rancor.com and click the button free trial in the top right and that's it you can just create an account log in and start right away it takes yeah a couple of minutes that's really cool it's a nice looking website matt I like it. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Very good. You've come a long way. Yeah, well, has also its benefits when you have been in, in the business, even with a different product, you learned a lot of uh, the hard things already and can hopefully make things easier and better. Now, now this is uh, it's going quite well. This topic is really, really big. A lot of interest all over. It doesn't matter actually which size of organization you talk to. The problems that a governance tool like that addresses are everywhere. Well, look, I really appreciate how transparent and open you've been on sharing some of the things you've done to make the product successful. And, you know, sharing all those stories is super useful for other developers out there, that are other product companies. So thank you so much for that. And um, yeah, I'd encourage you all to go check this out, Rencore.com, uh, Rencore Governance, and even the Rencore code as well. I've used that a few times with different customers uh, in different roles as well. It's very, very clever. So um, thanks again, Matt. We'll get you on, I guess, eventually another time once we get through all the rest of the partner wave we're talking to on this show. And uh, Aisha, thanks so much for joining again. And uh, I look forward to doing many more of these during 2023. It's going to take a little while to get used to saying 2023 already. Looking forward to it. Yeah, we have lots scheduled. So yeah. looking forward to all of the people. And thank you so much, Matt, for joining us. It was really amazing to learn more about Rancor. Thank you very much for having me. Excellent. Well, have a good January, everyone, and uh, catch up soon. for listening to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast. 
Please follow us on Twitter at M365DevPodcast and check out our show notes at www.M365DevPodcast.com. To help us spread the word, we'd really appreciate it if you could retweet our episode tweets and give us a review on iTunes. 